Hey everyone, this is your girl Amber. We're reaching your potential. We're going to continue with that episode of neurodiagnosis. I'm not even going to prolong this intro, so let's get started. As I mentioned in the previous episode, I'm not going to discuss all of the different neurodiagnoses that are in this world today, but I will be discussing some popular ones that I'm sure you will see on your MBCOT exam, or you may see these type of clients in your setting, in your field work, or just in life in general. So we will be continuing on and we'll be talking about strokes. Other known as CVAs, that's just a shortened word or abbreviation of cerebrovascular accident. A stroke is when there's damage to the brain from an interruption of blood supply. So there's not enough blood going to a specific part of the brain and the body's reaction is going to be a stroke. To discuss some basics here, a left CVA or a left-sided stroke will result in right hemiplegia and vice versa. So the right CVA will lead to left hemiplegia because we know how our brain is actually connected on, on two sides and they interconnect. So whichever side of the brain that is damaged is going to result in the opposite side being impacted. One thing to keep in mind is that if we have a left hemisphere damage of the brain, that is going to result in aphasia or dysarthria. And this is paralysis of the organs of speech. And a way to remember that is that the left hemisphere, left, the letter L stands for language. So we know that language is about speech and speaking. If we have damage to the left side, is going to result in a person having difficulty articulating and speaking. What are some symptoms of a stroke? Think of the mnemonic FAST, which are the signs of stroke. This is pretty much known by everybody. F is the face, because usually when a stroke is happening, there will be a drooping on one side of the face. A way to see that is asking the client, can you smile for me? And usually one side will droop while the other side is smiling. Another thing is A, arms. You ask the person to raise both arms to the ceiling. Only one side will do that. And that will show that this person is having a stroke or had a stroke. S stands for speech. As I mentioned before, usually the left hemisphere is the aphasia, but also just strokes in general. The person will have some difficulty speaking. They will have slurred speech, or the person may have trouble speaking or seem confused. And T is time, meaning that you need to call 911 if you see any of those signs. There are a few symptoms to think about when we are dealing with patients with a stroke. Some can include cognitive impairments. So I'm just going to run down a few so you guys can keep in mind. 
Spatial relations, so difficulty perceiving distance. Spatial neglect, so they can't recognize stimuli in a specific area. Body neglect, this is where they have spatial neglect of their own body. And because a stroke usually happens on one side, they're going to neglect the side that was affected. Motor apraxia, this is when they're going to have difficulty completing planned movements, whether it's walking, reaching for an item, doing ADLs, things of that nature. Another impairment that can be seen is ideational apraxia, which is where the patient will have difficulty with multi-step movements. And also this will show that they will have a decrease in conceptualizing those planned movements, such as initiating that task. So they're going to need a good amount of help with these cognitive symptoms. Some other things to keep in mind is that a person with stroke, we may see difficulty organizing and sequencing, difficulty with attention, figure ground, so not see, not knowing the difference between the object and the background, initiation, as I mentioned before, so difficulty beginning an activity, even visual agnosia, so having difficulty recognizing objects, and sometimes they may not even recognize basic or simple objects like a fork, a spoon, a toothbrush, things of that nature. And they'll also have some difficulty with problem solving. There are a few popular interventions to implement when you're working with a client with stroke. I remember I used a few of these interventions because I had a chance to work with a few patients with strokes during my field work, which is pretty exciting. So I will mention just a few just to give you guys an idea of what you can do. So if you have a client that has a left CVA, they're going to have difficulty with language and speech. Communication is huge. And we want to make sure that the patient is able to be successful in communication. So some things that we can implement is to have that client in a quiet and calm area, probably away from people, not in a crowded gym or whatnot. And we want to implement using gestures or visual cues to help them communicate to us. Never want to complete their sentences. And we want to encourage speech through the ADL routines that we probably will be doing with them. A big thing that we will most likely be doing with patients with strokes is working on that increased awareness and use of the upper extremity that is being neglected. So some popular interventions that are based on research is that constraint-induced movement therapy, also known as CIMT. That's where you actually restrict the hand that is being used all the time to kind of force that person to use the other hand that's being neglected. And there has been a lot of research on that to show how effective that really is. Another intervention that is great for a person with stroke is using ESTEM. And ESTEM is when you're applying those different nodes into that person's muscles and you're trying to activate those muscles to start firing, right? 
So you can use an e-stem machine. You can also use just the tapping method where you're tapping at the belly of that muscle to kind of wake up that muscle. And I did this a lot with one of my patients during my level two field work in a skilled nursing facility. Another intervention that is pretty popular too is mirror therapy. Mirror therapy is basically where you put this mirror in front of the patient and you're blocking the neglected hand or arm. And in a way, you're tricking the brain to think that both sides are moving simultaneously when it's actually just the unaffected side. So it's pretty cool to see um, being used in the gym or in a therapy session. One thing to keep in mind is when you are working with a patient who has a stroke, you may see them in a sling. And that's only for protective reasoning, but they shouldn't, they shouldn't be in that sling all the time because that can result in contractures. Definitely be careful of when you use the sling and when you don't, but we want to make sure that that patient is using that side and not just depending on one side to do everything. Bilateral tasks are very important in this type of diagnosis or disorder because when we work on both hands coming together and working together, that patient is starting to relearn that they have both sides of their body to help them complete a task. Last thing that I will discuss with strokes is subluxation. You may have a client that will exhibit shoulder sublux. And this is where the client will have a partial dislocation of the shoulder joint. And this can be seen because that side that's being neglected is not being used. It just starts to get very heavy and that joint starts to get partially dislocated. And I had a patient who had this before and my goodness, it is very painful for them. You can actually feel the shoulder sublux between the acromion and the humeral head. And you can just use your finger and the amount of fingers that can go in between those two areas of the shoulder joint, it just means the bigger subluxes. So to help decrease the amount of subluxation in the shoulder joint, you can do kinesial taping my CI during my level two field work actually tried this on our patient. He reported that it was more comfortable and less painful for him to do movements. However, when he did take a shower, of course, the tape kind of fell off and we had to reapply it. So that was kind of a temporary way to relieve him from pain from his shoulder sublux. Another intervention for that is positioning. So using a sling to help it be in a comfortable position. But as I mentioned before, you don't want them to be comfortable in that position all the time because that can result in contractures. The next thing that we'll be discussing is spinal cord injury. If you haven't heard of the OT exam prepper, you need to go check it out because Miles is the creator of that podcast and he did a phenomenal job of breaking down the levels of each spinal cord level in ways that I remembered from my exam. So I'm not even going to repeat what he mentioned. Definitely go check it out. 
when you get the chance. But a basic definition of a spinal cord injury is the damage to the spinal cord that can cause either temporary or permanent changes in a person's function. Some symptoms can include the loss of muscle function, the loss of sensation, incontinence, as well as abnormal reflex activity. When we're thinking about the spinal cord injuries, we should keep in mind the age of impairment scale. And this is just a scale that will grade the spinal cord injury based on its severity. And it's ranged from the letter A to E, with A being the most severe to E being the least severe, which basically is normal. Grade A is when there's a complete spinal cord injury. There's going to be complete loss of sensory and motor function below that level of injury. Grade B is when it's incomplete. And that's great to keep in mind because grade A is when it's a complete spinal cord injury. B through D is when there's an incomplete spinal cord injury, meaning that there's still gonna be some type of function somewhere, whether it's motor or sensory. For grade B, sensation is preserved below the level of injury, but motor function is lost. Grade C is when we're having some motor function below the level of injury, but it's only more than half of the main muscles receiving a less than three grade on the Asia motor scale. Grade D is when we have motor function still, but this grade, we're going to have more than half of the main muscles receiving at least a three or greater grade on the Asia motor scale. And grade E is normal sensation and motor function. So we quickly discussed the difference between complete spinal cord injuries and incomplete. And complete, as we mentioned before, is that total loss of function and feeling below the level of injury. So for example, if somebody has a thoracic injury or a spinal cord injury in the thoracic level, we know that it's going to start at the torso and arms level, but it will also affect the lower back, the pelvis, the groin, the tailbone, the legs, and the toes. A complete spinal cord injury is going to affect both sides of the body equally. However, with the incomplete spinal cord injury, there may be some function and feeling remaining below the level of the injury. Typically, one side of the body has more function or feeling than the other side, and there are some different types of spinal cord injuries or different types of syndromes that we should keep in mind. The four that we will quickly discuss are the central cord syndrome, the brown cord syndrome, the anterior cord syndrome, and the posterior cord syndrome. So for each syndrome, I thought of different ways to remember this. And as I said, they are very silly, but keep in mind, it was very helpful and I hope it works for you. So the first one we'll discuss is the central cord syndrome. And a way that I remember this is drawing a spinal cord and highlighting the center part of the spinal cord. So I know that that area is being affected here. And a mnemonic that I thought about for the central cord syndrome is MUD-E. Really weird. I'll explain. <laughs> so mud E, those letters stand for a specific thing. So look at the word mud, right? M stands for motor. 
And we know that in spinal cord injuries is either the motor functions that are going to be impacted or the sensory function. And in this case, motor is going to overcome sensory. Okay, so the way that I did it was motor is greater than sensory. Now we're going to the next letter is U. And when we think of U, I think of upper extremity. Upper extremity is going to be greater than lower extremity, which means that the upper extremity of the body is going to be impacted more than the lower extremity in essential cord syndrome. D stands for distal. Distal is going to be greater than proximal, meaning that all of the impairments and the issues that are going on is going to be happening on the distal side versus the proximal side. And E, because it's mud E, E stands for extension because this is an extension injury. So mud E, motor over sensory, upper extremity over lower extremity, distal over proximal, and it is an extension injury. You see how I just spit that out? <laughs> because it's so simple. Really weird to remember, but it will help you. The next syndrome that we will be discussing is called the brown Secord syndrome. And this is another way of showing that there's going to be a hemisection for the spinal cord injury, meaning only half of the spinal cord is being damaged. So in this case, this one is really weird. I thought of a wrapped name, right? So we know that there are rappers out there with these really odd names. So I thought of Brown Secord being a rapper name, right? And he is rapping this song. Okay, so bear with me. Okay, so the song goes, I'm a hip VIP and I walk with a limp and I will contemplate the pain I will make, okay? Bear with me. So, I'm a hip. So the word hip, I spelled lowercase h, capitalized I and P. Because in this case here, we are experiencing something ipsilateral. We're going to be losing some type of movement or some something on the same side as where the damage is, okay? On the ipsilateral side. VIP. VIP is the V is capitalized and the P is capitalized because the things that are ipsilaterally lost are V stands for vestibular, so I think of movement, right? And P stands for paralysis. So we know there's ipsilateral motor paralysis. And we continue, and I walk with a limp. So if I'm walking with a limp, this may be far-fetched out there, but I think of sensory touch or something sensory that's going on. Why am I walking with a limp? Maybe I have something sensory going on. So there's also going to be an ipsilateral sensory or discrimination touch loss. And we're continuing with the rap song here, and I will contemplate. So contemplate reminds me of contralateral. So contralateral, so there's going to be a contralateral loss in these next two things that we're going to discuss. 
Back to the rap song. I will contemplate the pain I will make. In that word contemplate, you see the word temp, and that reminds me of temperature. So we will be having a loss of thermal sense on the contralateral side. And in that part of the rap song, contemplate the pain, pain is going to be lost as well on the contralateral side. So putting it all together, saying I'm a hip VIP and I walk with a limp and I'll contemplate the pain I will make. (laughs) It sounds so weird, but it really works, okay? If you really sing that song to yourself, it'll make sense, okay? So ipsilateral loss, motor weakness or paralysis on the ipsilateral side, and also sensory or discriminatory touch loss will be lost on the ipsilateral side. And on the contralateral side, we're going to have loss of pain and thermal sense on the contralateral side of wherever this damage is in the bronchocord syndrome. Whew, that was really stressful, but I hope that worked for you. And the last two syndromes, actually, I'm going to pair together because if you know one of them, you will know the other. So the anterior cord, meaning that the front of the cord is going to be lost here, okay? So with that being said, some parts are going to be lost and some are going to be preserved. And if you remember what's preserved and lost in the anterior cord, just flip it and you'll get the posterior cord. So the things that are lost in the anterior cord are motor function, pain, and temperature. The only things that are preserved in the anterior cord are proprioception and light touch. When we think about the posterior cord, it's literally the opposite that is lost and the opposite that's preserved. So the thing that is lost in the posterior cord, what was preserved in the anterior cord? proprioception. So proprioception will be lost in the posterior cord syndrome. And the things that will be preserved will be the ones that was lost in the anterior cord, which are pain, temperature, and motor function. And with that being said, I am done with part two of neurodiagnosis. I hope that was helpful both episodes. I hope I broke down some of those things are a little bit tricky to keep in mind when you are practicing and studying and doing everything for this exam. I know I didn't mention any OT interventions for spinal cord injuries, but as I mentioned before, Miles does a great job on a spinal cord injury podcast episode on his podcast, which is the OT exam prepper. Definitely go check it out. But with that being said, if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns about anything I mentioned, don't hesitate to hit me up. Reach me at my IG, which is reaching.your.potential, or email me the old-fashioned way at reachingyourpotential96 at gmail.com. This is your girl, Amber. We're reaching your potential. Talk to you guys soon.